Hello, and thank you for joining us again here on Florida Foodie. I'm your host, Lisa Bell, and today we're talking to John Rivers. He is a man whose name you can see all across the state of Florida in big, bold letters on his Four Rivers Smokehouse restaurants. But there is a lot more to John Rivers than world-class barbecue. Before opening his restaurant, he lived a completely different life in the medical industry. For him, barbecue did not start out as a business. It was a ministry and a way for him to help others. And even though it's grown into 16 restaurants across two states, Rivers never stopped helping people. In fact, he wants to expand those efforts to feed people and educate them. And if all goes as planned, it's also going to get results for the environment and take a big bite out of food waste in Florida. Let's let John Rivers tell you all about it himself. Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Florida Foodie. Today, I am joined by our producer, Thomas Mates, and we have a big guest today. He's probably one of the best known names in Florida barbecue, and for that matter, maybe American barbecue. Uh, but he does so much more than just make great food. Today, we are sitting down with the owner of Four Rivers, John Rivers. Thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. It is an honor to meet you as someone who's lived in Central Florida for quite a while, and has really kind of been here since the beginning of your restaurant and just watched it boom explode uh it's really remarkable i know there's a lot of work that's gone into making all that possible uh you know what's it been like this past it's now been 10 years that you've been open and that is so hard to believe that it has been 10 years already i mean it's changed dramatically we were looking at pictures from you know from my garage when we started this thing and uh, even the first couple of days, I took some photos of the shop and stuff and reminiscing through that. And those were those were great days. And yeah. um, we have a lot of special memories there in that little location. And it's it's hard to believe that 10 years have already come. And uh, we just had a, a management meeting this week and I had all of our managers come in from all over the state. And you know, just looking at the number of people that we have, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's really it's a great blessing and it's been a thrill. And uh, it's, it's been a fun ride, that's for sure. You are an inspiration to so many people because to be able to watch you start a, a very small restaurant back in 2009 and watch it grow into now 16 locations in two states. I mean, there are so many people who would love to have that recipe <laughs> and to figure out how you've been able to do that. And we were talking a little bit about how this is not how you, you didn't start out in the restaurant business. So you no. had a lot of prior business experience, business experience that helped you get to this point. Talk to us a little yeah. bit about 20, your history. 20 years in healthcare which um, I was very uh, fortunate to do and have and lots of different roles from sales and marketing up to running a business. And I often say that, you know, at the end of the day, restaurants are about cooking and taking care of people, but it's also running a business, especially when you start going from one unit to two units and so on. So, I, you know, it's, as much as it, it pained me to wait and be frustrated wanting to open this business all those years, I look back and I'm grateful for that delay because I learned an awful lot that I'm employing now. You know, you, you couldn't open up the 16 restaurants and three other divisions like we have today if, if you know, if I just started cooking from day one. That is uh, a good lesson for a lot of people to, to learn and to realize, yes. you know, learning from you. But yeah, it didn't just happen overnight. You didn't mm-hmm. just start out with this this restaurant you started out prior to that doing something completely different um and i imagine now you're still learning as you go because it is drastically different than the healthcare business oh it is it is you know the funny part about it that the model itself we came up with that and the name of the company probably 10 years before we opened 
Wow. And uh, my wife and I, we used to drive back and forth to Texas, where she's from, and I tell her about this smokehouse and how I wanted to open it, and she kept encouraging me, just stay in the steady job, honey. <laughs> you know, stay the path, and we did. And one time, one trip, I said, you know, what? Do we, let's make up a name at least. And she made up the name, okay. you know, because she's from Texas. I wanted it to feel like a ranch, and people think it's a big strategy name. Well, there's four of us in my family, and our last name is Rivers, so it was pretty easy to come up with that. And actually, the logo I designed one day in a, in a meeting in healthcare when I was bored to death in thinking about mm -hmm. it, and I just started doodling, and I actually have the original piece of paper of how it evolved into the 4R that you know today. Don't you think when some things are just meant to be, they yeah. just happen easily like that? They're effortless? I mean... You know, I think it's always on your heart. You know, it's always on top of mind, and um, sometimes we, we go in a different direction, mm -hmm. and we pursue a title or pay or some other reason, but I'm convinced that that dream that you have and that passion that, that God put in your heart never goes away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it is absolutely remarkable to see how quickly and how greatly you have built that business. But we do want to talk about the other side of what you do, because it's not all about, you know, opening up new businesses and, and being very successful financially. You guys are also giving a lot back to Central Florida. So tell me about your foundation and what your focus is and why it became your focus. Well, you know, it's funny. It, it, it didn't actually become our focus. It started that way. As I explained it to a class last week when I was speaking to them, we didn't build, um, we didn't put a ministry um, social element in the middle of a business. We built a business around that ministry. So it's very different when you do it that way. It's in your DNA and it's in our culture. So we've been, you know, the whole thing started from, you know, my garage with a little girl with cancer and, you know, trying to help her and her family out. And it, that was a genesis of it. And we've never, ever lost that focus mm -hmm. um, and that priority, quite frankly, um, and the need to give back and take care of the community. And in my opinion, business is a relationship. And if you think about any relationship that you're in today, it has to go two ways. If you were in a relationship with your husband and it was all one way and everything was the way that he wanted it or he wanted it, you know, it wouldn't last very long. And business is like that with the community. You're in a relationship with the people that are coming into your business. You have to take care of them and you have to give back both ways. So, you know, it's been part of our DNA forever from the very beginning. About uh, three years ago, um, we undertook a, a larger initiative because um, we gave to a, a lot of different um, locations um, mm -hmm. and different organizations and families throughout the year, which we still do. But I wanted to do something that was bigger and more lasting in the community. And uh, you would have never thought that a barbecue place would actually go in the direction of a farm. But when we lined up the assets that we controlled, and specifically our produce purchases uh -huh. with where there is a need in the community and specifically food insecurity and particularly with the kids that are in Orange County Public School, you know, you had a, an opportunity to make a true impact and a difference. So we've leveraged all of our purchases and uh, we've set off on an initiative, it's about three years old now, of teaching kids in Orange County Public School about farming, but more importantly, providing fresh access to fresh produce to them on a day-to-day -day basis. And, um, it's a big project. Um, we've built out uh, one high school already um, in their agriculture program, Okoe High School. We're building now the second one, uh, Edgewater High School. And uh, I had obligated to uh, Dr. Jenkins, I do three, and uh, they can pick the third one wherever they want it to be. But separate from that, we're building a, a large 40-acre agriculture facility. And on, on the center will be farming. 
Um, we'll be a conference center. We'll be teaching classrooms. We'll be a lab. We'll be a demo kitchen, actually a full restaurant. Um, everything that you need that and circulates uh, farming and agriculture and really the, the, uh, the education piece of it. This is such a transformative social shift, don't you think? I mean, because for years, I feel like in American society, people would just kind of go to fast food and not really think about, you know, where, and not, I'm not saying Four Rivers is fast food, but they might go to like <laughs> McDonald's or whatever and not sure. think about where their food comes from uh, or certainly how to grow their own food and, you know, eat their meal and move yeah. on. And by teaching kids, A, just to appreciate the fact that, wow, they have this red juicy tomato or whatever it may be sitting in front of them that grew from the ground and that they can then do that themselves. And then on top of that, they can cook it themselves. I mean, you are really teaching life lessons and really transformative shifts in how we're thinking and and living our lives. Well, we have to, quite honestly. This is the first generation in recorded human history that's expected to have a shorter lifespan than the generations before it, Mm -hmm. ever. And it all goes back to our diet and what we're eating eating, you know that the produce that you eat today, and no matter which restaurant you go to or grocery store or whatever, on average in the United States has traveled 1,872 miles to get here. Mm-hmm. And we live in Florida. We're not talking like up in Maine or somewhere like that. Right. We can be growing that produce right here. Ninety Over 90% of the lettuce that we eat comes from California. Well, that head of lettuce costs about 42 cents to grow. It costs a dollar ten to move it across the country, plus leaving that carbon footprint along the way. And we're getting a product that's two to three weeks old. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't make sense. You really have to do something to turn that tide around. And, you know, you, you compare that uh, a scarcity and lack of agriculture growth to what's happening with the food insecurity. I didn't mention it earlier, but the reason that we chose Orange County Public School is one in five students and right here in Orange County live in food insecurity. And I asked the question a couple of years, what does food insecurity mean? That means when they come to school, that's the only food they're going to eat for the day. When they go home, they don't have dinner. And it doesn't have to be that way. No, it does not. And I'll tell you what will really make you turn. This is what got me. We were initially building on our center a 2,500-square-foot distribution center. We started working with the state in a group called Feeding Florida, which is a wonderful organization. The state has a program that they go into the farmers and buy the excess produce. Mm-hmm. They accumulate this and they distribute it all throughout the, the food banks throughout mm-hmm. the state and other places. Everything that is left that they can't distribute goes into landfills. 975 million pounds of produce per year goes into landfills. Meanwhile, you have one in five children in Orange County Mm -hmm. that aren't aren't eating. And you being a businessman, I mean, this is the puzzle that you were meant to fix and solve. You know, how do you prevent that and solve it so that it's going where it needs to go? Uh, I know that, I mean, the, the, the produce that they deem as as unsellable is often just has maybe minor imperfections. It doesn't yes. look good on a store shelf, mm-hmm. so that's exactly. why it gets left behind. And and oftentimes it may be just you know left on the ground to rot, or as you say, put into the landfills. Um, you know where uh, where are you guys coming as as far as your agricultural business? I mean, are you guys using that imperfect produce to then? Uh, in your restaurants as well? We can't right now, but mm-hmm. once when that 2,500 square foot distribution facility I mentioned earlier, when I found out about the 975 million pounds of extra, 
we increase it to a 30,000 square foot facility with a sense of responsibility that we've got to do something about this. Mm -hmm. We have to distribute and get it out there. So we combined our purchases along with Orange County Public Schools purchases and our other partner in this, Advent Health, Florida Hospital, all of their produce purchases, and that's what creates the, the closed-loop sustainable model to this. We just keep buying what we normally buy today. We leverage all those purchases to put to use all that excess produce mm -hmm. and all the profits that we generate internally mm -hmm. go back out to fund and get food out to all these food insecurity areas. So at this processing center, how, I mean, do you, what do you do with this stuff? When it comes into your center, what do you do with it? Uh, one of three things. Um, Granted, it's usable, okay? Yeah. Not everything mm -hmm. that's going to come in is going to be usable. Mm -hmm. One, it's either going to just be repackaged mm -hmm. um, and then shipped back out. Um, we're not going to do the logistics. We're partnering with one of the, the world's largest logistics company who does produce called FreshPoint, who just an awesome company to work with. They're going to distribute it for us back to our own facilities. Or we're going to take it and actually process it, which means we cut it up. Uh, core it, clean it, make it into a different looking product, then we goes back into distribution. Or the last component within our facility is actually a commissary where we're going to take all the ends and all the pieces and we're going to make soups and we're going to make mm -hmm. sauces mm -hmm. um, and we're going to make things that we can freeze that are going to go back into the school systems. And we'd love to find out a way, how do I get those to go to the, to the students' home yes. for the mm -hmm. weekend? Yeah. So this, this produce is either being used by your restaurants or by the schools? Or by the hospitals. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah. So what's really nice is all that fresh produce is going to stay in Florida, uh -huh. and it's going to go back into our businesses. Reducing the carbon yeah. footprint. Exactly. Yeah. So you uh, said that you're about three years into this process, and, and you're, you're building up this facility now. About what's the timeline that you're looking at for, for making it all come together? Well, if you ask me, I want it now. <laughs> Yesterday, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is a long process. It's mm -hmm. a huge mm -hmm. project. Um, we have two of the high schools going. Um, the next step is going to be building the distribution center, which is going to be on Orange Blossom Trail, which is nice. It's going to clean up uh, a whole block of Orange Blossom Trail itself, um, somewhat near the stadium. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's intentional so that we can invest in that area and, and create commerce and jobs there. Uh, the big farm, the agricultural center, probably we're, we're finishing up the... Um, permitting mm -hmm. and the design process now if we're in if we break ground by the end of this year i would be ecstatic and that would put us into the growing season into next year our master farmer who we've hired and brought on is actually the world leader in hydroponics out of israel oh wow which is really something cool for the city mm -hmm. you know this will be the first entrance into florida and really their only second entrance into the united states and this will be the biggest footprint that's here of the most advanced hydroponic system in the world wow which is huge for the city. Now, this is going to be in an area that's being called the Packing District, and it's kind of near Orlando's College Park area, yes. uh, near Princeton, John Young Parkway, just to give people an idea of where this is. Right now, though, this area is all kind of either dilapidated buildings or wetlands, is my understanding. That's right, a lot of woodlands. So... You, there's going to be some construction that takes place. And when this is all done, I know that that whole packing district, they want it very, um, you know, friendly to the public. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be apparently a YMCA and maybe some mm -hmm. other shops and parks, tennis courts. So will your farm kind of be open to the public or and can people take a tour through this or how's it going to be? Yes, um, part of the education is not just for students. It's also going to be for local farmers and the community. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a welcome center where they actually everybody walks through and it's a commemorative of agriculture throughout the state throughout history and learning about how important part of that is to our, our ecosystem
system mm-hmm. and to the uh, the economic environment of the of the state itself. Um, we're probably going to open it up to the public on the weekends and keep it closed during the week for teaching because it's going to have classrooms in it. And yeah. It's going to have a lot of facilities where different groups are going to come in and actually do a lot of hands-on work. The good news is you were talking about you know the food insecurity and the carbon footprint. Don't you feel like these types of projects are starting to take place and grow really across the country. You know, that is such a great testament to the community we live in. Mm -hmm. This is a huge endeavor, and we couldn't do it, certainly as our own, just as a little restaurant. You know, when we take a look at our board, it's some of the most powerful organizations and people in Orlando, and they're all coming together. No one's doing this for profit. Mm -hmm. We're all doing this to to battle that food insecurity and, and help those kids in our school. Really... I am amazed at the people who are stepping up and the organizations that are getting involved. It really, we, it continues to confirm to me we live in a great community. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you uh, obviously run a large business, and you are very socially conscious. I, you don't always see someone at, at, at your level of, of, of running a company getting this involved in the, the mm-hmm. community where they go, are, are you, are, is this something, you know, that you're trying to encourage among other of your peers? Yes. Why are you doing this instead of enjoying your yacht somewhere in the Bahamas <laughs> or something? <laughs> Why? Because I don't have a yacht. Right? <laughs> um, you know, there, there's a few things that I believe that the, you know, the currency of leadership is transparency. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the equity of a company and a brand has to go back to social consciousness. They have to be doing what they do for more than just profit and sales. And you look at some of the most uh, lasting organizations in our country today, you know, it's because of what they do and how that relationship that I spoke about earlier and how they're giving back. And to me, you know, we haven't been blessed with a business. We've been given a business to do something with it, to make an impact in our community. Mm-hmm. And hey, if it can influence other people and, and um, you know, set a, uh, an inspiration for other organizations to get involved and come alongside, and fantastic. And you don't have to be a multi-million dollar business to make a mm-hmm. difference in your community. You can do it just with a couple people, and quite frankly, you can do it just by making somebody feel good and giving them confidence and encouragement. That has just as big of an impact. So is your ultimate goal to be able to grow all of your produce, you know, here in Orlando that you use in all 16 locations? I, I don't know if 100% of all, yeah. um, and especially when you talk about the three conglomerates, us, the school county, and Florida uh-huh. Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can grow, like, the leafies and greens, mm-hmm. leafies, mm-hmm. the lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the onions, the cucumbers, mm-hmm. stuff like that. That would be fantastic. Now, access to that 975 million pounds of produce opens up the doors for melons, uh, oranges, potatoes, th- things that we would never grow here. But now we have access to it. We can put it through the system. Is this something you might think about? I know you've expanded into uh, Georgia, I believe, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this something you might expand into that state as well? Oh, you know, it's so funny. The first time I met with the governor on this because um, we're, we're doing it in conjunction with the Department of Agriculture and everybody. That was the first question he said is, can you do it in you know, Miami? Can you do it in Jacksonville? Because there, there's certainly there's no shortage of need mm-hmm. in our state mm-hmm. and quite mm-hmm. frankly in our country for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and my response is, let's get this first one built. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get this one. Let's prove the model because mm-hmm. the, the whole initiative is to uh, design it in a way that we're not seeking dollars from outside sources, that mm-hmm. it's self-sustainable. And if we can create that self-sustainable model and mm-hmm. keep all the produce here and help the people and educate the community, then I would love to duplicate it in other cities. 
So real quickly, I do want to talk about all of your locations because you started out on Fairbanks. 10 years ago yeah. with, you know, hardly any place for people to sit down. All you saw was a giant line out your door. <laughs> and then uh, a few years later, you moved just down the street into a larger facility where people yes. can come and, and sit down and, you know, you can... Spoiled them. Right? Yep. You can have a lot of room there. Um, but where else have you guys expanded to and how is that going? Oh, my goodness. Um, our second location, which is in Winter Garden, is our oldest facility that we have in wow. our entire portfolio. And it's one of, the most, my, one of my most dear ones that we have and we went we, we expanded out concentrically so we went to Longwood uh, then we went to Gainesville then to Jacksonville the Tallahassee Tampa uh, down to Coral Springs Kissimmee uh, we, we've got this area pretty well surrounded, but we still have a lot of landscape that we could grow in Florida itself. You know, Atlanta is our farthest one, the first one out of state. Um, and we'll see, that one's coming along up there. And, um, but, you know, we're, we've been busy, as I mentioned earlier. Um, Disney, uh, we opened three units within uh, Disney, two at ESPN and one in Disney Spring. And that's been a delightful partnership and relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one that's keeping us busy, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And one that I, I think we'll continue to grow that one, too. And just as part of your, you know, workflow, I mean, what time do you wake up and get to work? And what time do you go to bed? Yeah. My wife says I never am quiet. I'm right. always making a noise of some type, and yeah. I never sit still. I'm, I'm not much of a sleeper, um, not in a bad way. You know, yeah. I, just, I get excited. Um, mm-hmm. Typically, I'll, you know, 5 o'clock is, would be nice if I can sleep that long. You know, 435 is Mm -hmm. is typically when I wake up and I'm a reader. So, you know, I do my reading and devotions in the morning and I have a Peloton at at home and I got a lap pool. So I get all my exercise in. And um, that being said, I I can't make it much past 10, (laughs) you know, but um, Mm -hmm. I enjoy the days. I really do. I mean, you know, you know, when you're doing something that you're truly passionate about, you know, hours don't matter. Right. And quite frankly, pay doesn't matter for that matter. You know, you just, you're enjoying it. And, uh, and do you go into your restaurants on a regular basis? I mean, you know, if we if we mm-hmm. happen to stop by at a Four Rivers, yeah. will we see you there? Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I try. I, I wish I could say every day, but it's not the case anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, every Saturday, mm-hmm. I still work every Saturday. And Saturdays, I don't go in the office. I start the day at the Coop which is okay. my favorite breakfast, absolutely. Yeah. And I then I'll love that myself. I, yeah. <laughs> I just had lunch there today. Literally, I just came from there. I'm envious. <laughs> uh, and, um, and I actually, secret, I eat at the coop a lot more than I do at the barbecue <laughs> places. Um, and then I make my rounds. But usually, you know, once or one day or two days during the week, I'll stop by uh-huh. one of the restaurants. And uh, I just like to see everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when a, you're there, are you maybe slapping on an apron? or <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, not, uh, you know, it's there, you know, on Saturdays I do. Yeah. You know, on Saturdays I, I wear my T-shirt and my shorts, just you know, my just like my work gear, and I go in mm-hmm. and I'll do dishes or I'll, you know, help. Usually I'm making a dish, you know, or working on a recipe, and which I love doing side by side with them, mm-hmm. and, and they get a kick out of that. And and usually on a Saturday I can see about three different locations, um, and then during the week that's when I try to go out to some of the remote locations. And what would you recommend for someone who may has not may have not tried Four Rivers? Oh my goodness! I mean, what is your one go-to dish that you tell everyone you have to have? You know, I would. You know, our number one, our signature item is still the brisket. 
Okay. And uh, mm-hmm. to me, I love when they go up to the counter and they ask you what cut you want, always get the fatty side, which is called the moist because people didn't like you being called fatty. Get the moist <laughs> side. And if you don't like the fat, better than yeah, fatty. <laughs> yeah and, and trim the fat from it. Mm-hmm. you got to try that for sure. Uh-huh. Um, I, I tend to always have a rib okay. <laughs> when I go in. And I'm a big fan of the turkey, too. And That's the sides? Do you have some favorite sides? That you... uh, I do. I do. I eat a lot of collards. Okay. Um, I, I love those in the green beans. Uh-huh. Uh, quite a bit. And I, I actually take the collards and I put the fried okra on top of it. Oh. Give it a little crunch that yeah. way. Yeah, That's I don't good. go. It's funny. Um, even though I, I created the bakery and made all mm-hmm. those recipes and you know and made the bread puddings and all that stuff, I don't go to the sweets that often. Yeah. I'll, I'll stick to the savory side. So, I mean, I know... Um, I know you guys have burnt ends and, and the brisket. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of an amalgamation of, you know, burnt ends is, I believe, uh, Tennessee barbecue. Where am I? Or Alabama. Kind of, what were Alabama. El- Alabama. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what, how would you describe your barbecue? Like if you had to, ah. like, if is, is it like a regional thing? Or are you trying to make an amalgam of all It is. That's, yeah, that's a great observation. Yeah. Those 20 years when mm-hmm. I was in healthcare, you know, I learned about brisket before I even started. That was before I even got married, you mm-hmm. know, from my wife. I always say I went to Texas and I met the two loves of my life, you know, Monica, my wife, and brisket. <laughs> in that <laughs> order, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, of course. Thank goodness, especially on recording. And so all those years in healthcare, I would travel around the country and I was, you know, trying to lock down my re- brisket recipe, which took me 18 years, by the way, but I was learning all these other ones. I found about tri tip in California. California and oh, yeah. Riffs. Every meat that you see there is the best in class that I could find from around the country. Mm-hmm. So my ribs, they came from North Carolina. My pulled pork came from Chris Lilly in Alabama. The brisket came from Texas and Oklahoma, Kansas City. Uh, actually, the burn ends were from Kansas City. I misspoke earlier. <laughs> um, they came from Arthur Bryant's. Uh, okay. Tri-tip came from California. So, you know, purposely, the menu was designed not to be a single region, but to mo- represent multiple tastes and flavors. Mm-hmm. You know, the hardest part was, was creating a sauce that didn't lock into a specific region. Yeah, I know, especially like in the Carolinas, they have a very specific sauce. So, I mean, trying to marry all that together. Oh, it was difficult. You know where that regionalization, the origins of it come from? A barbecue? It's, yeah. If you take a look at you know the different styles that are out there, it goes back to the colonists that mm-hmm. settled in those territories. Oh. So in the Carolinas, you had a lot of English colonists that came in, mm-hmm. and they liked that piquant flavor, and they brought the vinegar. In Georgia, you had a lot of Germans, hence the name Georgia, mm-hmm. came in, and they liked mustard, and they brought that mustard. Ketchup or tomatoes wasn't even introduced to barbecue sauce until beef and cattle started moving out west to mm. Kansas City and Texas, where they grow a lot of tomatoes, and that's where it was introduced. So the regionalization of barbecue actually goes back to the colonists that settled in those territories. That is yeah. fascinating. Have you written a book about this? It's in my cookbook. Okay, very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was a fun part of researching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the science behind smoking and then the, history the history of barbecue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't find tri-tip at, at a grocery store here. No, you know we have. Uh, you know, <laughs> one of the story behind that, I was up there and I, was, I used to be the carver. You know, uh-huh. We call it Winter Park One, which is our mm-hmm. old Winter Park location. And uh, some guys come in and typically we'd hear it from Texans. You yeah. know, they were always very staunch about letting us know they were from Texas and mm-hmm. you can't find good barbecue, you can't find good brisket outside of Texas. But God bless them. They would always come back in afterward and say, <laughs> you, know, you did a fine job, yeah, son. I'm like, funny. well, thank yeah. you. So we had some guys come in and like, oh, this isn't real barbecue. 
And, you know, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? <laughs> they said, it's tri-tip, it's real barbecue. I said, where are you from? California. So literally two weeks later, I flew to California. Uh-huh. I learned how to make tri-tip, ate it everywhere I went, mm-hmm. came back, and we had to ship it in. We just had to yeah. bring it in because yeah. you cannot find it. And it's a tough meat to cook. You know, it's it's a leanly, it's it's mm-hmm. called tri-tip because it's where three muscles come together uh-huh. on, the, on the back hip of the cow. And uh, we brought it in, and now it's one of our most popular items. I love tri-tip, too. Yeah. If you can cook it well, it's if delicious. You can cook it well. Yeah. So obviously the farm is in your future, uh, but you also have a lot of meat. Do you have a ranch in your fu- in your future? <laughs> or, you, know? you know, that's so funny you asked that. When we talked about the assets that we controlled, you mm-hmm. would have thought it would have been beef and cattle. Right. But there's no shortage of beef in, in our marketplace, whereas you've got that shortage of fresh produce that's mm-hmm. out there. Yes. Uh, no farm. You know, we have two other divisions. We have a manufacturing division where we're making produce, and it's being shipped on uh, different cruise ships and different stadiums, uh, UCF Stadium here. Uh, They buy it and they serve it at all the games. Tallahassee, they do. Tampa Bay, Buccaneers, they sell it. Um, And then we have a retail division. So when you go into Publix and you see our sauce and our rubs there, and uh, we're working on one of the big box warehouses right now that we are very, very close to. Oh, wow. Very excited about that. And you guys just introduced a beef jerky as well, I believe. We did, yeah. You saw that? Have you had it? I've not. I've not. I just happened to to happen upon it. That's got to be popular. It's it's taken off. Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. That'll have a retail. That can be here on your little... uh, I mean, that's a great, yeah, exactly, and that's a great <laughs> gift idea. I mean, uh, yeah. obviously, we're nowhere near the holidays, mm-hmm. but you give some people some Four Rivers jerky, and mm-hmm. people love jerky. Yes, it really is funny. Yeah, yes. they got a great affinity. Take to it, it with you wherever you go. Yes. A nice little snack. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, great. I'm kind of curious, like, as you're, like, growing this, how are you, like, ensuring that it, like, maintains that, like, quality throughout uh, throughout these all these locations? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the hardest things. I'm yeah. sure. I, I have a great operating team, and um, they work diligently, especially with some of our avid fans who will go from location to location. Mm-hmm. We've got, like you know, you, you've seen those little yeah. gold uh, plates on the, on the bricks on the wall? Mm-hmm. They're called pitmasters. So when somebody eats, you know, out of the, what are the 20 some odd days that were open during the month, they have to eat there 21 days during a month to get their wow. name on a brick. We have some guests who have multiple bricks and multiple cities, which means there's people who drive to Jacksonville, you know, two and three times a week just to eat to get their name on a brick up there. So when you have that type of fanatical guests, mm-hmm. okay, you've got to be consistent because they will go from store to store to store. You know, it's one of our uh, funniest uh, early indicators that something is off. It's Facebook and social media. Oh, yeah. Because somebody will post if they're They'll mad. you know. You know yeah. They had a bad experience. Yeah, yeah. that, that triggers something very quickly. We've locked down a lot of our processes and systems. Mm-hmm. We still, co- I insist on cooking on site, mm-hmm. you know, still fresh every single day. And um, I think that makes a difference from a taste perspective. Sure. But that also creates challenges. But we got a great operating team who's doing a really good job with that. We were talking earlier, you really haven't had to do much advertising at all. It's all been kind of word of mouth and just this craze that's surrounded Four Rivers. But what's it like for you when you are driving around and you see that Four Rivers bumper sticker on not just the mm-hmm. car in front of you, but next to you and on the other side of you. Before I answer that, can you guess how many we've given out since inception 10 years it ago? It seems like at least a million, Close. but I don't know. Very, very close to a million. And I always tell people it's not because they have an affinity to brisket, but because they align with what we stand for mm-hmm. and what we're yeah. doing in the community. Um, you know, in the early days, you know, they were kind of like everywhere. And it, oh, actually, you know what? I made those and I gave them out as a Christmas gift to the <laughs> management team and our friends and a couple of the investors. And so back then, when you pull up to a car, I would know everybody who had one. Uh-huh. Mm. Well, then people started taking them 
off of the cars for themselves. So I was like, oh my gosh. So we started making more and putting them out. Or for the short for the short period of time, I would still pull up next to her car when I'd see one, and I get ecstatic, and I'd be waving at somebody. And they had <laughs> no like, no clue. Wrong? Yeah, what's yeah. wrong with this dude? <laughs> now today, you don't see nearly as many as you did back in 2010, 2011. So today, when I roll up and I see one, I am so appreciative that yeah. somebody still has that on there, and we still hand them out. So people, I was going to say, how do you oh, get yeah. one of those? Oh, just go to the smokehouse. Okay. Yeah. They're always there. The ones that are fun are the different color ones. Yeah. You know, if you can find, uh, you know, whatever your affinity is, a UCF or Florida, Florida State, there's all those colors. There's a mm-hmm. Orlando Pride one. There's a Orlando Soccer one. There's there's all kind of different colors. I'm pretty sure we have one sticking to one of the server stacks downstairs. Oh, yeah. oh I think so, yeah. yes. I love it. You know, yes. it's so funny. It's so simple. Yeah. Right? You know, and people really, they, they, they drew to it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming in and spending some time with us. And we wish you absolute the very best on this farm. And we want you to come back. Uh, You know, hopefully it'll happen sooner rather than later. But we'd love to come and take a tour of it and check it out and even come to one of the greenhouses at one of the schools. Sure. Yeah. So we really applaud what you guys are doing. And we know it's making a big difference in our community. Great community we live in, for sure. Thank thank you. you. Thank Thank you you for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to Florida Foodie. We would also like to thank our guest, John Rivers, from Four Rivers Smokehouse. You can follow Four Rivers on Facebook. Just search 4R Smokehouse and on Instagram, at Four Rivers Smokehouse. Be sure to follow our Lisa Bell as well. Search Lisa Bell News on Facebook and Instagram or Lisa Bell News 6 on Twitter. You can also find her new children's book online at normannomebooks.com and by searching Norman Gnome Books on Facebook and Instagram. Also, a big thank you to our technical producers, Derek Mosier and Ryan Haley. I'm the show's producer, Thomas Mates. You can find videos of all of our podcasts on clickorlando.com slash podcasts. Please be sure to share those on social media. That really helps us out. And be sure to check out our other podcast, Florida's Fourth Estate, hosted by Matt Austin and Ginger Gadsden.